Welcome to a Minor Detail Podcast. My name is Ryan Miner. I am your host. You can find me on the web at a aminordetailpodcast.com and I cover Maryland news and politics at a aminordetail.com. Don't miss us tomorrow at Harry Brown's. I will be at Harry Brown's at 6 o'clock p.m., which is on State Circle, uh, with Lynn Foxwell, my often stand-in co-host. Uh, we're going to be talking about the kickoff of the 2020 Annapolis session. Tonight, I have with me 7th District Republican Congressional candidate. Her name is Kimberly Klasik, and she joins a Minor Detail podcast for the first time. Kim, hey, thanks for doing this tonight. It's snowy. It's cold out. It, you're probably bundled up, and uh, you know you are quite busy these days. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. And yes, it is really cold <laughs> outside. So this is awesome being able to just talk to you from home. So. <laughs> I know, right? And most people, yeah. they can appreciate that. They're sitting in the comfort of their couch and they're probably enjoying sitting back. And uh, sometimes I talk to people and they have a few cocktails, which is that even better. They can... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, I, I, I stopped drinking for my New Year's resolution. No more wine. No more wine. Yeah. How's that going? Give it a go. Uh, we're at day seven. So far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, um, I, every once in a while, I'll have a glass of wine or a cocktail. Um, I've been doing this weird, crazy keto diet, and they, you can't have, uh, it's hard. You can't have any craft beer. You can't have really any sugar. So I'm sort of limited. So I've just been drinking a lot of tea. <laughs> yeah, well, props to you for doing that diet. I looked at that and I was like, there's no way. Yeah, there's no way at all. <laughs> well, it's hard. So, Kim, last July, you launched yourself into the national spotlight after visiting West Baltimore. You had posted a series of videos that were critical of Baltimore cities. Uh, they're trashing crime problems. And you leveled some criticisms at the late Congressman Elijah Cummings, who died on October 17th of last year. Your videos, they caught the attention of President Donald Trump, who, like yourself, uh, you're a frequent social media user. And Twitter appears to be your preferred medium to communicate your message. The president tweeted at you. He retweeted you. And that prompted a series of tweets where the president attacked the late congressman, Elijah Cummings. And he called the district a rat and rodent infested um, district. And he referred to Congressman Cummings even at one time as King Elijah. So, Kim, let me ask you, what inspired you to visit West Baltimore? And what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, so um, I have a nonprofit, and I have been working with this nonprofit for seven years called Potential Me. We get women dressed for job interviews. Um, so I've been in and out of West Baltimore for seven years, but I hadn't been down side streets. So I used to uh, teach a class at Penn North Library, you know, things like that. But it was one Sunday morning, Congressman Elijah Cummings uh, went on to a morning talk show and said that his constituents were afraid of President Trump. And I just couldn't help but think about the fact that I've been in this area, uh, in West Baltimore, which is, you know, the district is more than just West Baltimore, but it, that's what came to mind. And I thought there's no way anyone there is thinking of President Trump. You know, you think of what's going on around you, uh, local issues. And so I just said, okay, I'm not gonna assume. I took my little Nikon camera, as everyone says, it's like the worst camera ever. But I took it in and I said, okay, I'm gonna just go up to a random individual and ask them what their thoughts were on that statement. And so as I'm driving down the street, I see these two guys sitting on their stoop. And I said, hey, you know, I have a couple questions. Do you mind answering them? The guy said, no, what's going on? I told him about the statement about being afraid of Trump and they literally laughed at it. And the one gentleman said, I will actually tell you uh, some of the scary things that are actually going on in this neighborhood. Now, I don't think anybody should do this, but I let this random stranger uh, jump in my car. <laughs> we drove down like three blocks, and this is North Arlington and Franklin. We drove down, and he and his wife lived in this one row home uh, next to a vacant row home, but there's like a little alleyway between them. He's like, I'm going to show you down this alley. And so I go, we walk back and I have my camera rolling. And he was like, so my wife has been calling Department of Public Works since December of 2018. Now, mind you, it was July 2019. And I said, so this has all been sitting here since then? He goes, yes. 
So then he started telling me that they didn't dump it there. Somebody else dumped it there. They don't know who. Um, he then says, and in this vacant home, this has been vacant for almost 10 years. And he said, and so we end up with a lot of people here that are squatters, struggling with addiction. He said, my nieces and nephews come here. And, you know, you have these people going in and out of this house. And I asked him if I could see inside. He went to go check to make sure no one was in there. Um, again, I don't think anybody should do this with a stranger they just met. <laughs> but he says, hey, no one's here. Come on in. I go in. Mind you, scary, scary detail. I go in and there's like this pile of blankets uh, to the right side of me right when I walk through the door. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, is that a person? So I like cringe when I keep walking in. And he's just like describing to me um, just what he has been seeing uh, for the last 10 years with people going in and out of his home. And so I took that video and I uploaded it to Twitter. I never copied the Trump uh, administration or Trump himself. I um, copied the late Congressman Cummings, uh, Mayor Jack Young, and Council President Brandon Scott. And I did this over uh, about a week. And I went to West Baltimore in the same area. The guy's name uh, was Maurice. And he started taking me every day to a different area. And was like, you know, this is Carrollton Ridge. Um, here's over in Easterwood. And he's showing me all these neighborhoods. And I'm like, wow, you guys are dealing with so much here. And he's like, yeah, they don't care about this area. No one ever comes to pick this stuff up. We call all the time. And we're not the ones putting it here. And so for the week, I, I just uploaded these videos to Twitter. And again, I'm copying, you know, those three. Uh, Fox News, because I do uh, political commentary on Fox News probably like once or twice a month. They saw it, you know, they followed my Twitter feed mm -hmm. and I got a call from one of the producers and she was like, um, can you come in and explain what's going on right now? Like what's going on on your Twitter? And I was like, okay. And so she actually put me on Fox and friends on a Saturday and I don't usually go on Saturday. So I was like, okay, whatever. So I go in, um, I talk about what I had filmed. I talked about the crime and violence. Um, and then I guess they replayed it again an hour later. Cause that was like in the 6am hour. They replayed it in like the 7 a.m. hour, and I think that's when the president saw it. Hmm. Um, and that's when all the tweets started. Well, I know he watches Fox and Friends, that's for sure, and he sometimes yeah. tweets at that time. But, Kim, when, when you saw this, obviously it impacted you, and that's how you began communicating a message out through Twitter. I want to ask you, do you lay blame totally at the feet of Elijah Cummings, or do you believe you're uh, criticisms of the late congressman, the president's criticisms aimed at him. Do you think that the president's tweets especially, do you think were fair? Well, I think it was kind of the perfect storm for him in a way because like a lot of people, like if you're just in Baltimore and you're not paying attention to politics, you probably have no idea that the president and Congressman Cummings had gone back and forth about the conditions at the border, right? Yeah. Like some people had no idea his oversight committee was actually dealing with what was going on at the border where he was a chairman. And so I think for President Trump, it was kind of like, a, oh, I got a moment, you know. Um, but for me, it was kind of like, well, look, I know Congressman Cummings has been in office in some capacity in this area for over 30 years. And you can't say that you live in this area and don't notice just the trash piling up and just how the neighborhood looks like, you know, a lot of people were there uh, for the 2015 riots. I actually, my office at that point was on Charles and 25th. Hmm. And so I was affected by the curfew and the riots and everything that was going on. Right. And so you couldn't have been there and witnessed the riots and not have witnessed the living conditions. And I think even Bernie Sanders said at that time that it looked like a third world country. That is absolutely correct. And so for me, it was kind of like, you know, I remember seeing Congressman Cummings out there uh, marching in the streets. He was helping with uh, enforcing the curfew. I remember him and, and Mayor P or, or she was Senator Pugh, I think, at that time. Yes. Um, yeah, but she was out there. Uh, you know, Nick Mosby was out there. And so it's like local leaders definitely know. Congressman Cummings definitely knew that it was like this. And so, you know, should he take all of the blame? Absolutely not. You know, that's why when I was tweeting it, I was copying him and the mayor and the council president, you know, because <laughs> it, it does, it falls on everyone. Um, but I thought when you are sitting in that seat, you know, he was the most powerful African-American on Capitol Hill. Um, that is a fact. And so for him to sit in that seat and never actually, 
not to say that he never paid attention to these neighborhoods, because I'm sure he did. And I'm sure he helped a lot of people in those neighborhoods. But I even did interviews of people in these neighborhoods. And a lot of people said they never even met him. And so there were people, I think, being neglected and wanted him to reach out. And I was happy that I was able to give a voice to those individuals. Kim, do you think that the president uh, went after the congressman on maybe for a, a, a personal reason, because, of course, the, he was the late he's the he was the chairman of the House Oversight Committee. And, of course, he was at the time investigating the president's actions. Do you think there was a personal element to the president's tweets? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. If, if someone says they, there wasn't there, they're lying. Yeah, there absolutely was. And, and I'm not going to deny that. Um, but did some good come out of it? Yes, because now the trash is being cleaned up and the Baltimore Sun is reporting on how there's disparities in these neighborhoods. So um, at the end of the day, <laughs> even though all the stuff that we went through, um, I am happy that it was, you know, more light was shed on it. Thanks to the president. No, I think that's fair. Um, Kim, in November, you announced that you were running for Congress to fill the term of the late Congressman Cummings. Among the candidates running in this special election, why do you think that you're the best candidate for the 7th Congressional District? So like I said, I've been in West Baltimore for seven years, and I believe, you know, I'm not afraid to go in and talk to everyone, you know? Like, I'm not saying that the other candidates are. You know, I'm not saying that at all. But I am there. I'm able to be on the ground. I'm able to talk to people. I understand their issues and concerns. You know, the people that I've helped with uh, employment, uh, like I've helped over 200 women become gainfully employed in that area alone. And you know what? I know the issues that they're facing. And so a lot of this, you know, a lot of people say, well, how did you get started in politics, even though you started with the nonprofit? I would try to go to City Hall and talk to people about what I saw and how we can possibly do things better. And I would always get the, you know, the the door slammed in my face kind of situation because there was always like this fraternity or sorority kind of thing going on, you know, either you're in their group or you're not in their group. And here I was providing the service for free and I couldn't understand why they didn't want me to help and, and the level that I could, you know? So here I was always reaching out to people. I mean, it was word of mouth. I was going to employment specialists with other organizations Um, But City Hall never wanted to work with us because they said, well, we're already working with students to succeed. And I said, well, there are so many women that need this, you know, resource. And they still were like, oh, well, those are our people. That's who we're going with. And so I just thought that was really irresponsible on their part. I mean, if you have someone that's willing to help, why not let them? Um, And I was just over it, you know. And so I'm not saying that the other candidates haven't had this experience, um, but I've been going through this. For seven years, and, and even one of the aides that was indicted, I think his name was Gary, with Mayor Pugh, hmm. I actually um, had a situation with him uh, where I was going to go to one of the career centers that was in Mondawmin Mall to bring them more clothes because they had a backlog, so they actually called me personally. And so I wrote a Facebook post on my potential me, the nonprofit page, and I said, hey, I need more volunteers. There's a backlog at the career center. Can we get some help? He then called me the next day. And said, your Facebook post is going around City Hall. We need you to remove it because we're not partners. Yeah. And I said, um, I'm just trying to get help to get the clothes over there for the women that need it. And he's like, yes, but you're not our partner. So and I said, so do you want the clothes or you don't? He says, yes, we do. I said, but we're not partners. He goes, no, we can't be. We have suited to succeed. Yeah. And so that was like the mindset. And I thought, what are we doing here? And so I would bring this up to Brandon Scott. I would bring it up to, I used to meet with Mayor Young's uh, chief of staff. I don't know if you know Lester Davis. I don't personally, no. Yeah, so we would meet, talk, and and try to, I'm like, look, this is what we can do. But I would always get the door slammed in my face. So I was like, you know what? To go around all this red tape, I might as well just run for the seat and do what's necessary. I think that's, uh, uh, people get activated based on sometimes inaction. Kim, you, you currently live in the 2nd Congressional District in Baltimore County, yes. not the 7th. Um, it's not a requirement to live in the Congressional District in which you're running in. But do you do you think that members of Congress should live in their Congressional Districts? And is it a fair criticism to say that you, even though that you, you said that you understand the district, but you don't live there, do you, you think that might be a problem for you? 
Um, I would hope not, just because I guess I look at it and say, well, you know, Congressman Cummings lived there his entire term, um, and it still looked the way it did. So I think it doesn't really matter to me exactly where you live, but whether or not you actually want to do your job and you care for the area and for the constituents. And so I know I'm not the only one running that doesn't live in the district. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I hope that they would know, you know, just from where my office is and how much that work I've been doing there. And I do know a lot of people in the area just because I've been there for so many years. Well, um, in, in, in fairness, uh, Congressman Cummings, late wife, Dr. Maya Ro- Rockymore Cummings, I believe she uh, didn't register to vote until in the district uh, until just a few years ago. I believe it was be- between 2010 and 2014. So, okay. uh, uh yeah, I want to talk about your personal narrative, your background, your mm-hmm. upbringing. So, Kim, in the simplest terms, tell me your story from where you were born and raised and how you got where you are today. OK, um, so I was actually born in Concord, Massachusetts. Uh, we lived in Buffalo uh, and then we moved to Akakeek, Maryland, which is where I was mostly raised. Uh, my father worked for IBM. My mom sells health insurance. And so we were there. I think I got there when I was in the third grade. Uh, so pretty much raised there, um, small town, Akakeek, uh, <laughs> you know, public high school. Uh, when I was about 15 years old, I actually ended up losing my hair to alopecia. Hmm. Um, just in case people don't know, alopecia, they don't really know or they can't really determine why you lose your hair. It's just something that happens almost like an autoimmune uh, disease. So it's kind of like your body fights the follicle, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, so that happened when I was 15. Uh, my parents, you know, they were doing fairly well. You know, we did very well. So my mom would take me to specialists and we would try to figure it out. They just, no one had an answer. Uh, so when I graduated from high school, you know, my parents were college graduates. My older brother, chemical engineer, I mean, you know, college was what we're supposed to do. Um, I went off to Bowie State University, even though I did not want to go. Like, I went kicking and screaming. (laughs) Um, And I got there, and being at this HBCU, you know, and I don't know if this is, you know, an experience that everyone has, but, you know, for black women, there's a lot of focus on hair and, you know, your clothes and, and a lot of material items and so I just had this experience where every other day, uh, you know, a girl was saying, well, what's going on with your hair? You know, why, why do you wear the fake hair? Da, da, da. And this is before, you know, wigs and everything were cool. You know, this is way before like Nicki Minaj. <laughs> so I would always have to explain. I went home on the weekends to try to, you know, manage the hair situation. But I, I honestly, I wasn't good at it. You know, before then, before losing it, I didn't have to try to work with fake hair. So I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so after a while, I just told my mom, I couldn't take it anymore. Uh, and I, I went back home. I went to college of Southern Maryland for a year. Uh, I did play soccer in high school. I played soccer at college of Southern Maryland. Uh, and then when I broke my ankle, I was like, well, there's no reason for me to go to school. And I was <laughs> I'm like, I can't play soccer anymore. You know? So I actually, I went back home just to stay home basically. Uh, and then my mom and dad were like, well, you can't just stay here. You have to work. <laughs> Um, so I went to work at the Georgetown University Hotel and Conference Center. Um, so I started out there as, you know, just a front desk rep. You know, I had no experience. So I worked front desk. Uh, I ended up going off to, I guess, uh, what was I? Reservations manager and then uh, sales manager assistant. So I just continued to try to work my way up. And this happened within a, a couple of years, really. Um, and then I met, which is now my husband. We got engaged, and I moved to Baltimore. The commute from Georgetown University to Baltimore was two and a half hours one way because you had to take the train to the metro to the Georgetown shuttle bus. And I was just like, okay, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> like, after a year, I was like, no way. That's a tough um, commute, yeah. It is. And he said, you know what, at this point, just stay home. I do have stepchildren. Uh, they were a lot younger then. So they go to Our Lady of Mount Carmel here in Essex. And so he said, you know, if you don't mind just taking care of the kids, that'd be great. And so that's what I did. And after so many loads of laundry and bringing the kids back and forth, I got bored and I started my nonprofit in 2013. And I just, you know, was doing it as a volunteer situation. So I, I never took any salary or any pay from potential me. I just wanted to to help. And then it was it was a fun hobby, really. Hmm. So. 
you you journeyed into politics and you've been uh, you're now elected to the Baltimore County Central Committee, the Republican Central Committee. Um, You do uh, a Fox News gig. And uh, I know that I saw in your bio that you interned for the Minority Business Roundtable. And yes, Roger. Yes. Yes. And Kim, let me ask you something. Would would you consider yourself a policy wonk, someone who likes to get in the weeds of public policy and then use that that empirical data to then go out and solve problems? I would say that's probably not me. Okay. I'd probably am the one that looks at a situation and I say, okay, logically, what can we do here? I would consult with someone that is maybe a policy advisor and an expert on the topic, and then we would figure out what works best. Okay. Um, you know, this entire time, and I can tell you, I mean, Uh, I've been talking to the administration back and forth. Obviously, they've been watching what I'm doing, right, since all the videos. And Has the president uh, endorsed you yet? No, he has not endorsed me. Uh, We've been talking about the fact that, and I don't know if you know this, West Baltimore is not a part of the opportunity zones. Right. uh, I did know that. Yeah, which is a huge problem, in my opinion. And so I actually discussed this. Uh, with some people in the administration, and they're looking and working to make it so. Um, so I've been talking to community leaders uh, in Easterwood, Sandtown, West Baltimore in general, um, and we're going to try to figure this out. So even if I don't win, <laughs> this is something that can continue, and we can make sure West Baltimore will be a better place. The special election is on February the 4th. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's a Tuesday. And for anybody who is just tuning in, uh, we're 21 minutes in. I am interviewing Kimberly Clasick. She is a Republican congressional candidate for the 7th Congressional District. She's not only running in the special election, but sometimes the State Board of Elections, they make these small mistakes, and then they sign you up for a different (laughs) district. But you are now officially registered in the 7th Congressional District. Um, did you see that? I did. I saw the switcheroo, and I was looking there on the other night, and I was like, huh, I said, I don't think that she's running in that district. So that's why I texted you, and you said, yeah. oh, okay, there we go. So, <laughs> well, Did you see when they, they actually made the correction, though? I, I just, I see, I just checked today, um, just to confirm, so they... It's up in uh, you are on the official State Board of Elections website as running in the 7th Congressional District, both the primary uh, and uh, the uh, yeah, the, 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 the regular okay. primary and then the special election. So you're you're set. Yeah. OK, cool. <laughs> I was like, what is going on here? So I'm glad the correction was made. Thank you. Kim, should you be elected to Congress based on your professional experience? Which congressional committees or subcommittees might you be interested um, to serve on? So I would say probably most uh, education. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe, uh, so while I started my nonprofit in 2013, I actually worked within the Baltimore City Public Schools uh, from 2013 to towards the end of 2014, going into 2015. And that is when Dr. Thornton was there. Yep. And I was working under Dr. Ted Thompson, and we were discussing uh, the possibilities of boarding schools. Now, I love school choice, but I also do believe, and and at this time I was doing home visits along with with the work I was doing there. Hmm. Um, I was a vendor, basically, with my nonprofit, going in, talking to young women that were in suspension centers, trying to figure out how to overcome some struggles that they were having. Um, But doing the home visits and understanding the environment that so many of the kids in uh, Baltimore City are living in. And just everything that's going around them, like the trauma of losing their friends to, yeah. to gun violence and, and family members, I just feel um, that we can make a bigger impact if we really got serious on the education piece. Um, and I would propose uh, boarding schools for sure, which is what Dr. Thompson proposed to do. Um, and as much as we're spending per pupil, we could actually do it. Uh, they didn't want to go that route, <laughs> but he actually ended up implementing this. Uh, in both Detroit and Houston, and they are working out well. So that is where my interest lies. Okay. Let's pivot over to foreign policy, a subject, of course, mm-hmm. that has been in the news since, uh, well, for for much time, but it heightened mm-hmm. on this past Friday. Let's talk about Iran. Uh, General Qasem Soleimani, he was the head of Iran's elite Quds military force, and he was one of the most powerful figures in the Islamic Republic. He was killed early last Friday in an airstrike in Baghdad. Kim, given the political 
unrest that is spurred by the death of Soleimani. How do you think that's going to affect the geopolitical state of play in the Middle Eastern region? That's a great question. And you know what? I think right now no one can really be certain. I mean, let's let's be honest. Iran, they're very unpredictable. Um, but from what I've been watching this evening about what's going on, um, it looks like they're retaliating and, and we're going to fight back. And so to me, I think people have to keep in mind just what kind of person uh, we were dealing with in the first place. Um, this is a terrorist. Uh, this is someone that President Barack Obama and many others have said was a terrorist and should have been taken out. Um, from my understanding, now is this confirmed? I don't know. We always get so many different things from different news outlets, right? But, you know, he was planning another attack. Um, you know, so I just, I know it's tough and no one wants to see us go to war. Do we want to spend money on a war? Absolutely not. Do we want to yep. lose U.S. soldiers? Absolutely not. Um, but I'm sure we will do what is necessary, and I would leave that call to the experts for sure. Well, that's a great question. And in your view, Kim, do you believe that the United States is currently at war, and do we want another war, and can we afford one? Uh, we cannot afford. <laughs> we cannot afford a war. Um, but I don't think we're currently there. Um, but you know what? What is it? Is it 3 o'clock in the morning over there, and then they've already sent— uh, U.S. Air, um, right? Uh, you know they're they're already <laughs> they're already out there and, and ready to fight. So I don't know what we're going to see in the next five hours or so. But from what I see now, I don't think we are at war. Um, did we think that Iran was going to retaliate? Of course, you know they've been telling us that for two days now. Um, so we'll have to see where it goes, and and we have to make sure we have a plan and a strategy. Yeah. You know, they now said the White House is not going to hold a press briefing this evening. Um, that would be nice to know, but if that would, you know, I guess put a strain on whatever decisions are, we're making over there and, and we don't want to expose anything, then, of course, you know, do what you have to do and brief us later. Yeah, Kim, presidents, they're oftentimes defined by their specific approaches to foreign policy. Ronald Reagan had a, a policy peace peace through strength, but trust and verify. President George W. Bush, he later became defined by what was known as the Bush Doctrine. How would you describe the president's approach to foreign policy, and how do you see currently our relationship with the rest of the sovereign world? Yeah, so I know his his big slogan there is America first, which I appreciate. Um, and he wants expansion of the military, which I'm, I, I understand and, and I support. Um, I think, honestly, we won't know until maybe a week or two from now, and we see what's going on in Iran, and um, I'm pretty sure this is going to bleed over into Syria, and we're going to see a lot go down, um, and I think then we can probably see uh, where we lie. If, if we don't have a good strategy, I mean, it's it won't look good for President Trump, that's for sure. Well, you um, mentioned Syria, and last year, the president, he was widely critical criticized, even by his staunchest congressional Republican allies, namely Lindsey Graham, for his mm -hmm. decision to withdraw American forces from northern Syria. And that was a decision that left the northeast portion of the country open to a Turkish incursion into the section of Syria that was controlled by the Kurdish forces. And of course, there mm -hmm. are a group of fighters that were trained and backed by the U.S. government, and they were our allies. Kim, when the president made that decision to withdraw those forces from northern Syria, did you support that? Um, I probably did not even comment on that. Okay. You know? um, I am usually with Rand Paul. <laughs> uh, I know he did not support it. I know. So more of a libertarian uh, position? Yeah, uh, Marco Rubio. So, you know, it's you got to—I know it sounds horrible to say, you know, we got to let this play out, but— um, I know a lot of people were not happy with it, and, and I understand. Um, but, you know, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, President Trump, President Trump. But he's not the only one making these decisions, you know. Uh, this is just taking a group of people. Pompeo's there. And so we can't just say it's Trump making these decisions. Um, so I don't know. And, and are we distracted by some of what's going on in the U.S. Congress with the impeachments and Absolutely. And I do think that other nations probably take a look at that and say, hey, you know, they're distracted right now. And I really wish we would stop with the infighting as well. Yeah. Do you 
do you believe, and I saw in a tweet that you made the other day, and you talked about the, the War Powers Act, so I wanted to follow up on that. Kim, do you believe that a president should seek authorization from Congress before launching a mil- military strike? Now, of course, they have a vast latitude of constitutional powers um, through the War Powers Act, which gives the president a means to quickly respond to a a threat without congressional authorization. But in the event that we go to war, let's say that in, yeah. that we had to go to war with Iran, would you want the president to go before Congress and seek that declaration? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. I, that is, yeah, constitution all the way. So yes, absolutely. And you, you're 37 years old. I'm 34. We're very close in age. And I have friends who have served in Afghanistan and Iraq, and it seems like we've been engulfed in this contra- in this just this endless war for mm-hmm. almost 20 years. And the president often stated during his 2016 campaign that he believed that the Iraq war uh, was one of the strategic blunders of this generation. Do you do you agree with him? Do you think the Iraq war was a mistake? Um, financially. Yeah, I mean, anybody would say yes. Hmm. Um, as far as, I don't know what your friends say that have gone to war, uh, but my friends say they don't feel it was a mistake, that they felt like it was a fight that we should have fought. Um, I don't know. I mean, you look at 9-11. Had we not done anything, what would they have done after that? You know, there's a lot of questions I don't think we can really answer. Um, I think we make a decision and then we go with it and we hope for the best. I mean, it won't be the first time or the last time, or even if people don't feel it was, but uh, that we'll make a mistake when it comes to going to war. So, Kim, speaking on the terms of the constitutionality of the uh, when it comes to foreign policy, torture has been in the news. It's been a hot topic for many years. Do you think the United States should torture suspected terrorists for information? <sighs> hmm. I, I don't have any sympathy for terrorists. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I think most people do. First and foremost, yeah, first and foremost, um, do we need to get information any way we can? And in some situations, yes. Um, but do am I a supporter of, of torture? Uh, no. But again, I'm not a, a terrorist sympathizer. Well, that's there. You mentioned in the Baltimore Sun, they, they did a, a voter guide and you they oh. had asked yeah they had asked you about the Iranian nuclear deal and you said it wasn't a deal so let's talk about that the president <laughs> the president dissolved the deal in May of 2018 and just days before the strike that killed general soleimani iran announced that it, it it's they're no longer going to comply with uh, the deal that it, it effectively abandons the deal altogether so what do you think? Um, can you unwind this deal, the main points of it and the implications of it? And and you mentioned too earlier that uh, we need to have a long-term strategy for, for dealing with I- Iran. So what do you think the White House's strategy is dealing with Iran now that they uh, that the president authorized the airstrike that killed General Soleimani? Um, I think they're, we're going to go to – we're going we're gonna to do whatever we need to do. I think it, I, I know it sounds bad because we were laughing. My husband and I were laughing earlier <laughs> because Trump made a, a statement uh, when they were talking to him at the White House earlier today. Uh, if, if they do anything they're not supposed to do, <laughs> they will strongly pay for it. I think that's what he said. Um, but, you know, in, in reality, I don't think he's someone to back down. And I support that. I do. You know, I think America has looked weak, in my opinion, for a very long time. Um, I know a lot of people were mad about the tariffs. I, I think a lot of different countries take advantage of our kindness, I'll say. Um, now, as far as the Iran deal, and I'll say this to you, the Baltimore Sun voter guide, I, I know this might sound horrible, but I don't take the Baltimore Sun very seriously. Um, and I think some people saw that with my answers <laughs> to the voter's guide. Um, you know, it's like when everything was unraveling with the president and the late Elijah Cummings, uh, the son was doing so much harm and damage, I felt like, to the people being neglected. Uh, and then I talked about this to Luke Broadwater, and I was just, you know, upset about the whole situation. And even the editorial board kept, you know, writing all these harmful pieces 
And I just thought, you know, what kind of local media does this? You know, you know these people are struggling. You know there's something going on. Why not get to the bottom of it? And so I don't actually take the Baltimore Sun seriously at all. And hopefully people understand that. Is there a – I know that you appear on Fox, but is there media that you trust over other outlets, newspapers? What's your preferred source of news? Um, So I always go with, you know, my personal experience. Um, So when Brian Stetler was doing his piece on me, he actually emailed me and asked me a couple questions. And I said, you know what, Brian, I would I would love to come into the studio and talk to you in person. And then everyone can see our interview live. He said, absolutely not. Just answer the questions in the email. (laughs) So I thought, okay, that's crazy. Um, So I said, well, I'm not going to answer the questions, but, you know, I'm, I'm always open to come on. So then he came up with his own answers and wrote whatever he wanted. And a lot of it was wrong. Um, and then for me, One American News, I think they do a great job. Um, I go on and talk to them. We usually just have our interviews are more of like a chat like we're having right now mm-hmm. like, where I don't know what I'm going to talk about in advance. I actually enjoy that. Um, and then with Fox News, I think they're always being watched. So uh, they'll tell you what the topic is. And you have to send over your talking points uh, beforehand. Oh, really? That's how that I, I never knew how that worked. Oh, yeah, yeah. You send over your talking points beforehand. They have to be there in hand, I guess, uh, within the hour so that their producers and their bookers could check it out and make sure what you're saying is factual. Um, so they they actually make you send over the information prior. Uh, but for me, just having a candid conversation is my favorite so I would probably say uh, One American News is the easiest for me to, to go on. Kim, let's pivot over to domestic policy. What do you think the most pressing domestic policy issue facing our country is today? And specifically, the same for Maryland's 7th Congressional District. What's the most pressing issue in your district that you're running in? Yeah, I think that, what was it, the Gonzalez poll came out. And I thought, this is so true, crime and violence. Uh, Right now, you know, over 2019, we saw 348 murders, over 700 shootings. Baltimore County up 52% in crime and violence. Howard County also dealing with the same. Crime and violence is a big problem. And I have a huge problem with bail reform. I don't know if you've been watching uh, the stories coming out of, you know, people basically being arrested and then released immediately because now we're not doing the bail. Um, so they're out there to basically commit another crime or run into that same person that they could have, you know, held a knife to the night before. Um, and then we're also really too lenient on violent criminals, um, even our juveniles. I, I actually sat down with one of the majors in Baltimore City just to get a better understanding of what they're dealing with. And he tells me, you know, they could arrest a juvenile. He could have a possession of a, a handgun, an illegal handgun. They take the gun from him, they take him to central booking, and he can be released in four hours if this uh, parent or guardian comes and picks him up. And it's like, how is that even possible? How did we get to this point? And so we need to really take serious action and so that other juveniles know and other violent criminals know that we're not playing around. So let me just clarify. So your position, do you want to strengthen the the, the bail requirements and make it harder for people to get bail what what say you um well i didn't understand the reform part to begin with i I guess in my opinion what was wrong with the way bail was with the bail bondsman and and making sure that they showed up to court or their hearing okay i i I guess i'm asking you i I didn't see where the problem was prior um so i based on my understanding is that uh with with bail with the cash bail um a lot of a lot of times that the that a lower socioeconomic class felt that they weren't able to get out of um to jail or they may have been arrested for a a, a misdemeanor um or a drug offense and they're left in jail without access to um to counsel uh to to get out where maybe a a wealthier middle class person may have had that that issue, and it's been a major policy concern. So, um, no, I mean, I can appreciate your position, but um, let me yeah. let me go on to. I want to talk to you about healthcare. It's a major issue, affects virtually mm-hmm. every American. 
how do you think Congress can provide health care for every citizen at an affordable cost? And you told the Baltimore Sun that you'd scrap the Affordable Care Act. What would you replace it with? What's what's the plan? Okay, so I guess from I guess it depends on where you're from and, and what your social economic status is and what you felt with the Affordable Care Act. So for me and my family, uh, we had to pay more, right? So my husband, also a small business owner, um, because of the way his insurance were set up with uh, his employees, they then had to, he had to then fund theirs when before they could go out and find their own private insurance and then he would pay for it. So whatever happened, he said it ended up costing him a heck of a lot more. So I guess in my opinion, and, and this is from a lot of people that even tried to sign up on the website, they said when they would go and sign up, um, sometimes it didn't work or they were waiting for a long time. Or So I don't know if it was ever, like I can't speak to that because I never tried to go and sign up for Affordable Care Act. So I don't know how true that is. But I think a lot of people had a lot of problems with it. Now, some people say, well, healthcare is a right. Is it really? I don't know. You know, I, I look at it and I say, if you get shot or do you get, you know, something happens to you and you end up in the emergency room, do they, do they turn you away or do they actually work on you and go take you to surgery and try to save your life? They absolutely do. Right. And so I think the way they were presenting it, it was kind of like, well, oh, my gosh, if, if we don't have this or we don't have that, you know, we're not going to be able to, you know, live or, or if I you know, give birth, they're not going to help me in this situation. And, and that has never happened. Right. So to me, it's like, let's be honest and let's be real about this. Could we do something in the future where um, people could still have their own private health insurance? I think we could. I think we could. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, one of the candidates for president, Senator Elizabeth Warren, she is advocating for scrapping private health insurance and going to a Medicare for all plan. What are your thoughts on that? I think she would devastate the economy. Like my mom sells health insurance and even she's against this and she's a hardcore Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot of jobs, careers uh, in the medical industry and that would devastate it. And so, you know, people have to be real. Like, it, you know, it sounds great. And I know a lot of people are saying, oh, well, it's free and it's a right. And it's like, well, what will it do on the back end? You know, I don't think we're thinking this through. And, you know, a lot of people have questioned uh, Senator Warren on how all of this will get paid for. And I, I don't know if she ever gave a straight answer. I, you know, I didn't, last, I didn't watch the last Democratic debate, so I'm not sure if she did or not. Uh, but I didn't see one as of yet. Kim, you tweet often about issues directly affecting your district that plagues Baltimore City, crime, and uh, uh, you, you tweeted about a lot about the trash issues and just general disparity issues that have occurred over the years. So as a member of Congress, how would you use that role? How would you bring uh, use your position as a member of Congress to bring the change that you seek in your district? Yes. So I have been researching a lot about all the federal grants that have come into that area because I was wondering, I knew that President Obama allocated a certain amount of money after the riots. And so in 2016, uh, the Penn North Easterwood area received $23 million through an, uh, through an organization called, uh, what is it, North Avenue Rising. And so they were supposed to allocate that money to help with the not just the businesses that were destroyed, but just around the neighborhood, um, putting funding into organizations for the community, things like that. Unfortunately, that never happened, right? And this is federal funds. And so they took that money and they are building more bus lanes, they're building bus coverings, and apparently they're fixing an elevator. All of that does not cost $23 million. So there is a lot of waste um, I'm not going to say that it's being stolen because I don't have proof of that, but there's something happening uh, where this money is not making it to those that's supposed to go to. I heard just yesterday, $3.5 million is supposed to go to, um, I believe it's in the District 7 area uh, for the, they got they gave it a new name. It wasn't, uh, what was it, for the, the opioid uh, they gave it a new name. It wasn't like addiction. 
it was something dealing with opioids or something like mm-hmm. that. So to me, I looked at that money and I said $3.5 million. What they're actually uh, saying that this money would go towards would really just only pay for uh, those working, <laughs> you know, the, the, the medical professors, the, the, those that are actually taking a look at the situation and trying to help, that $3.5 million would basically pay the salaries. That wouldn't pay for uh, anything that these people might need that are struggling with addiction. So it's kind of like, what are we doing with these federal grants? It doesn't make any sense. And I feel like as a member of Congress, you will have oversight, especially of your district. And I think that I could sit there and say, you know what? I can be on Capitol Hill, but I'm young enough and I've got enough energy to also be in District 7 and making sure my constituents are taken care of. And if the local leaders aren't stepping up, I want to be someone that they can turn to and say, hey, I have been requesting this. I haven't heard back and I can provide oversight. Kim, let's talk about immigration. The president has taken on immigration reform as one of his top domestic policy agenda items. Kim, do you support the president's immigration policies? And what changes would you make to ensure that every immigrant has a chance at what we call the American dream? So I support the president wholeheartedly. So when I go on Fox News, I usually go to discuss immigration. And I support exactly what he wants to do. Um, I'm saddened that uh, Paul Ryan and Nancy Pelosi, when they got together to do the budget, they didn't put enough money in to deal with immigration. Um, I supported him wanting to build a wall and do more at the southern border. Um, there is, <laughs> I know they say there's a crisis at the border, but there really is. There is an increasing number of people coming through our southern border where our patrol units or whatever you want to call them. I know a lot of people say it's ice. It's not just ice down there, but they're trying to figure out a situation where they can keep it, you know, in an orderly fashion. And so that people and kids aren't sitting in what they call cages, with this tinfoil blanket on top of them. Um, so, you know, the, I guess the amount of people coming in in the short amount of time, we can't handle it. The president tried to do something about it. He continues to get pushback. And we really do have to address it. I think people have been kicking that can down the street in Congress for decades. Nobody really wanted to talk about it or deal with it. And it's time to deal with it. You mentioned, too, just to go back to the Baltimore Sun Voters Guide. I know it's your favorite thing. Um, you <laughs> you talked about DACA and you talked to uh, Dreamers. How do you think they should oh, yeah. be treated? What do you what kind of plan do you have in mind? I think we should all come together and sit down and think of a plan for DACA. Absolutely. I mean, these individuals, some of them have been here their entire, almost their entire lives at this point. Um, And so we shouldn't just turn our back on individuals that have built a life here. Okay, I'm talking about people that are trying to come through illegally now. Uh, We should get together and and figure out something for DACA. That I would sit down uh, with the Democrats and I would talk to them across the aisle and say, what can we do in this situation? Um, Because it's it's really like holding someone's life in limbo. Um, and I don't want to do that to anyone. I want them to be able to, you know, live and, and, and be successful in their own right. So, yes, DACA should be a conversation. Kim, initially the president, he, 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 he came out with a policy, um, a Muslim ban. Did you support that? Was it a, was it a Muslim ban? He, he barred people from, I believe, seven different countries, and that's— um, it, it may not be what you referred to it, but essentially it was uh, it, it disallowed people from um, various Muslim dominated countries to enter, enter the United States. Um, I remember discussing this at one point in time. I don't I don't know if it was a Muslim ban, but I do believe he uh, barred those coming in that he felt were a threat to our country. And no one can deny uh, the instances of what we were doing with ISIS and other terrorist attacks has gone down uh, significantly. And so whatever he did obviously worked. Kim, are you familiar with Stephen Miller, who works at the White House? I don't know him personally, but I know of him, yes. He's, He's a controversial person. He is the author of many of the president's immigration policies. Um, and if he's clearly a very controversial figure and recently Democrats have called on him to be 
um, to be fired from the White House based on some of his previous writings. Have you heard about this? I think I kind of, I can't, I've, I've heard, I haven't heard of what exactly what he wrote, but I remember it being a topic yeah. uh, in the news cycle. Okay. Yeah. He's, he, he's been working for the president ever since day one. In fact, he used to work for Jeff Sessions, former U.S. Senator, former Attorney General. Let me let me switch directions to the economy. Um, I, I'm interested in your positions on NAFTA. What do you think? Do you think that it's helped the United the U.S. economy or hurt it? I mean, the numbers that we see today look pretty darn good. So I, I don't think anyone could say it hurt. Okay. And that's a it's a good leeway into my next question. What do you think the best indication is of our country's economic health? Is it unemployment rate, uh, income, trade policies, stock market? What do you think? Uh, definitely unemployment rate. I mean, that's what I look to first, especially, you know, being in the Baltimore area. Um, I work with people that now have jobs that did not have jobs before and not just jobs, like, you know, actual careers and, uh, ways that they can actually take care of their family, you know? Um, so I, I'm, I'm happy about the numbers and I'm happy that they're doing a lot better. That's for sure. Well, I think it's an arguably that the U S economy, certainly over the last four five, six years, it has been steadily linear. So it's, it's yeah. growing. We came out of a recession and yes. things seems to be it, the stock market is booming. Investments are are going well, but people do have concerns with the president's trade policies. What do you think? What are your concerns? Do you have any, or do you support that? Um, I understand people have concerns. I mean, I look at you know you're not going to hear me say anything bad about what's going on with China. They have been taking advantage of us for a very long time. I think China is basically running on U.S. money at this point. Um, you know, I understand there's a lot of farmers in the Midwest that aren't so happy with things going, um, you know, it's hard. I mean, you know, I think no matter what you do and the decisions that you make on that level, unfortunately, some people are just going to be affected, uh, negatively and positively. I don't think there's always going to be like this positive kumbaya moment. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, you have to look at the bigger picture. And, And by that, I would say unemployment, jobs, and how much the money is moving, the stock market, and things like that. Kim, let's do some rapid-fire questions, and in no particular order. I'm interested, I want to bring it back home. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Governor Larry Hogan and his performance so far as the governor of our state. Uh, Governor Hogan, I think he has, what is it, 74 approval rising? There's a new poll that came out that I, I believe he's the most popular governor in the country. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. That's what, you know what, he's, I think he's doing a good job. I mean, do I love the fact that he doesn't, you know, agree with President Trump? Well, you know, no, but I, I'm willing to look past that because I think uh, Maryland is united on that front. I think we can all agree on Governor Hogan doing a great job. That's why when... I heard Dr. Maya Rockymore Cummings uh, accuse him of being a white supremacist. I was in shock. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that. I did. <laughs> I, like, I, really? I did. I think that Governor Hogan is like a like a like a golden retriever. Like you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like he, he's a, like a docile guy. Like he, everyone loves Governor Hogan. So um, yeah, I think he's doing a good job. I think he's paying a lot of attention to to uh, schools. I think he is now paying a lot of attention to the crime and violence. I think he's doing a great job thus far. Um, Kim, another issue that has been in the news, and it's been a policy decision back and forth, that it's whether or not um, the American military should allow transgendered Americans to serve. What do you think? Um, Absolutely. So I am for the LGBTQ2, I'm up to date here, community. Um, I am not anti-gay, anti-trans, any of that. I think everyone should be who they want to be and and feel happy and good about themselves. So um, if they want to serve, you know, let them serve. What do you think about a citizenship question on the upcoming census? That's been debated. It's been a controversial topic. What do you what do you think? Uh, I think why not? You know, um, and I also believe that we should ID voters as well. Um, if we really want to get to the bottom of voter fraud and suppressing votes, uh, we should ask citizenship questions and we should ID people. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. 
Um, felons who serve their sentence, should they be eligible to again vote in, in elections? Yes. I believe when you serve your time, you know, you serve your time for your crime. When you get out, I think you have you should have that second chance and should be able to be a contributing member of society and you should be able to vote. And that's another issue. The president has found some bipartisan support in uh, criminal justice reform. That's obviously a big issue, and it I think it would apply directly to your district. And mm-hmm. there has been some bipartisan cons- consensus, maybe one of the only areas in the last three years of the Trump presidency. Um, and whenever there's a bipartisan victory, I like to celebrate that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about the, the Paris Climate Agreement? Do you think the president should have withdrawn as he did, or do you think he should have stayed in it? That's interesting. So I've actually sat down with a couple of, uh, I guess you could call them hardcore liberals that was talking to me about climate change. And, you know, they're very, you know, maybe in their, their early 20s and how concerned they were with it. And I feel like, you know, I don't think that we should dismiss anyone in their concerns. And I think sometimes we do that. Uh, I think sometimes the Republican Party, we don't like change. And I don't think... Um, you know, for some people to say that it's not real, climate change is not real, that's not true. I mean, you know, climate change is happening today. And I honestly, I can't tell you whether or not the agreement was a good agreement, because I'll be honest, I didn't read the Paris Agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, it, that's a tough call. But I, I do want to make sure people understand that I would be willing to listen to anyone that has any concerns about climate change or anything else, uh, because, you know, that's an issue for you, then that'll be an issue for me. Kim, how do you see yourself on the political spectrum? Um, You're Republican, and you've stated that you agree with the president's policies, but how would you define that? Would would you consider yourself a conservative, a a libertarian, a moderate? Where where do you fall on that spectrum? Uh, Definitely moderate. Definitely moderate. I, I know there's there's hardcore right wingers. There's you know that Tea Party still exists. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not that far right, um, but I, I would say I'm a moderate. I mean, when you look at how far left, how far right things are today, and how polarizing it is, um, some people would say I feel like you're an independent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's just that crazy. But uh, I'm definitely moderate. I'm okay. Definitely moderate. Yeah. Another issue that's been on the minds of voters. Marijuana, cannabis, legalization, what do you think? Should it be legalized at the federal level? I guess when I look at things like that, um, and, and this is why I'm for you know birth control over the counter, it's almost as if they kind of just want to get their cut, right? Um, at the end of the day, that's usually why we regulate things that we don't usually regulate because they want their cut of it. Um, I, I guess in my mind, it's like, okay, well, if it's marijuana today, right? How do we say that's not going to lead to something else? Like these drug dealers that are out here today and they've got their own little economy going. Um, they're not going to just sit back and say, okay, well now it's, it's legal. I better go get another job. (laughs) You know, they're not going to say that, right? Um, they're making way too much money. It's, it's lucrative. And unfortunately the drug world, that's where they are. And so, you know, do they step it up a notch? Um, do we see more as far as uh, crime and violence because of this? I don't know. I don't know where this goes. Um, but I don't feel like, uh, you know, I'm not for it. I have to be honest. Okay. I, I would really have to be, you know, really convinced that this is the way to go. But like I said, I'm a moderate and I will sit down and talk to anyone uh, about it. And I'm always open minded. Kim. Thinking to Russia, do you see them as a a friend or a foe to the United States? Uh, I do not think Russia is our friend. No, that's. <laughs> I don't. I don't think. Have they ever been our friend? Well, we've we have no. historically. Uh, the the Russians have have helped us um, in in some wars, but over the years, of course, they have become uh, one of our top geopolitical threats and. Uh, So and of course, the president, that's it's a common theme with this president. um, And he he has been reluctant to, I think, criticize Vladimir Putin in ways. But um, I always like to talk to candidates to see how kind of where they stand on on Russia, what what threat that they pose. And of course, look, I think it's indisputable. 
I don't think, I know it's indisputable that the Russians, and this was concluded, that they did attack our election system. And that's that's a concern for, I think, millions of Americans is that we will again uh, have the same issue in 2020. Um, we want a free and fair election. And that that bothers me. That concerns me greatly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, they are obviously a threat. Um, I believe there was some evidence of the of the Russians trying to meddle in the 2008 election. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, they are a threat, and you know when you threaten our our I guess our ability to have a democracy here, and that's what makes our country so great that we can sit here and vote and and you know choose our leaders that way. Um, you know that's a problem, obviously. And so I don't I'm not I don't think President Trump is working with Russia or he was in cahoots with Vladimir Putin. I know there's a lot of people that say this uh, in the media, but. Um, obviously, Russia is not our friend, and we should take threats uh, like that seriously. Mm-hmm. We should. Kim, would you ever accept an offer? Um, or would you ever accept an offer of uh, campaign help from a hostile foreign power? You know, if someone tried to offer you help in your congressional campaign, what would what would you do? Oh, absolutely not. I I would alert officials. <laughs> no way. I mean, if they're offering it to me, they're offering it to others. Right. Right. Uh, absolutely not. That That's, you know, and it's so crazy because even this low level, um, you know, Republican primary that I'm going through right now, you know, I've, I've got emails from not foreign, you know, leaders, but from people in, in the area saying, oh, I might have dirt on this person. And I'm like, dude, hmm. get a life like, no, like, you know, this is, you know, this is a fair I want to run a fair campaign and, and go through this election um, with my abilities and on my track record, not you know, trying to damage someone else's reputation. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely against any of that. I think voters want a a clean race. They expect to get in for candidates to talk about their interest. What we talked about tonight, I'm interested in the candidates' policy positions and really the narrative, what binds you, what guides you to to this position where you are today to seek such an important function in our American system of government. And Kim, I so appreciate you spending time with me this evening to talk about these vitally important issues. Where can people find out more information about you? Plug your website and your social media accounts. Yeah, no, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me as well. It's uh, KimKForCongress.com. On Twitter, I'm Kim K. Baltimore. On Facebook, it's Kimberly N. Klasik. Um, Instagram, I have to warn you, it's extremely boring because I don't take a ton of pictures. <laughs> but there, it's Kimberly Klasik as well. And then YouTube, uh, uh, Kimberly Klasik. And that's where people can also find uh, some of those videos that I took in Baltimore uh, if they ended up missing those. Uh, so, you know, then, then people can see the interviews, too, that I did around the city, which is always nice to see. Kim. Is there a, there's two debates coming up. Could you, mm-hmm. could you offer um, some idea when they are and uh, what, uh, what dates? Yes. So I know the Frederick Douglass Foundation, uh, which is, uh, I believe Tori Smith is the one that's uh, running this uh, Frederick Foundation, Frederick Douglass Foundation of Maryland. And that debate is on January 16th at 6 p.m. at the Elkridge Branch Library. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe Euripsy Morgan is actually one of the panel moderators. So that's a lot of fun. Um, and then I believe on January 21st, I am not sure if I'm going to be there because I think I'll be uh, out of town. We're going we're gonna to check my schedule and see if we can switch some things around. But I believe the Young Republicans Club is having a debate at the Woodlawn Library. Um, And so I think uh, all of the candidates will be there also. Well, Kim Klasik running for Congress in Maryland's 7th Congressional District. I wish you the best of luck. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for spending this snowy evening. Stay warm, and I'm sure I will see you on the campaign trail. And please come back again and uh, and update us on, uh, on the progress of the campaign. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Kim. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. That was congressional candidate Kimberly Klasik. She is 
a Republican. She is running in the 7th Congressional District special election and the regular primary. The special election is on February the 4th, and then the primary, whoever wins the special election, um, ostensibly would go on to the primary. Um, and then uh, we'll figure out who the next congressperson will be. You can check me out on the web at a aminordetailpodcast.com and a aminordetail.com where I cover news and politics. Tomorrow is a big day in Maryland. It's the opening of the ne- uh, the session the 90-day legislation session. Hold on to your wallets. It's going to be fun. No, everything will go smoothly. Big topics this year. Kerwin, uh, we got lots of educa- construction spending, health care, so many big issues. In fact, we had Delegate Mark Corman on, on Friday, uh, Sunday night, and we had a blast. We talked about every issue imaginable. Thanks, everybody, for listening. My name is Ryan Miner. This is a Minor Detail podcast. This will be uploaded to the podcast website on minordetailpodcast.com. And for anyone who is interested in sponsoring a podcast, maybe you, maybe anybody who's watching, I would be glad to set you up with that and we'll promote your business or organization. Uh, and that uh, should go a long way. We got pretty good listenership. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you have a happy, healthy evening. I'll see you again tomorrow. Harry Browns, Len Foxwell, and I are live at 6 o'clock p.m. and the hub of the Annapolis Machines bastion of where they do all of the wheeling and dealing. So keep an eye on us for that night uh, tomorrow. Thank you so much, everybody, and uh, have a good one.